0: Hello and welcome to Disneyversity, the podcast crash course through the history of Disney's animated classics, where we talk about some of the most famous movies ever made that most of us probably don't know nearly as well as we think. Each episode we'll be moving forward in time through the legendary Disney catalog, watching every feature film in the Walt Disney Animation Studios vault, from Snow White to Strange World, seeing how they stand up today, how they pushed the boundaries of animation shaped the legacy of Walt Disney and the wider Disney brand, and how they influence pop culture at large. <laughs> A brief disclaimer, this is not an official Disney podcast, but all of these films are available to stream now on Disney+, so come on, watch along with us, and let's learn together. I'm film journalist Ben Travis, and while I'd love to look around the Roy E. Disney building and see what happens there at night, I'm not your Disney-versity lecturer. No, for the second instalment in our bonus mini-series exploring Disney's centenary, I'm stood outside the gates, hoping that if I look just lost enough, someone might let me in. Thankfully, I'm joined by somebody who might not have the keys, but probably has a direct line to hundreds of Disney-versity legends who can get us on the guest list for the after-party, which I hear is absolutely off the hook. I am, of course, talking about Dr. Sam Summers, our guide through one of the most groundbreaking and beloved animated movie catalogues of all time. Sam. It is like the Boxing Day equivalent of Disney 100 Day as we record this. How was your Disney 100 Day?
1: It was a fun time. I mean, obviously the headline is you and I went to the Disney 100 exhibition at the XL. We did. It was cracking. What a time. And we will record another episode all about that where we talk about all of the magical things that we saw Everything we witnessed, everything we did, Uh, we'll get into that in more detail. But it was very fun. It was a great way to cap off Disney 100 Day. Is that what we're calling it? That's not a very snappy title. Disney 100 Day? The Disney, the 100th Disney Day. Disney Anniversary... Disney Day. I don't know, it doesn't sound great.
0: (laughs) Every day at Disneyversity is a Disney Day. This is Disney 1000 or something at this point. Three years.
1: And then I got home and I watched a wonderful cartoon, which we're going to discuss, and then I watched it another five or six times today to prepare for this episode... Yeah, I heard, I mean you look, I was at work. I wasn't sitting at home eating a Mickey Mouse cake and watching like all my favorites. Although actually I did I did do a lecture on the history of Disney on that day and that was just a coincidence. So I was playing the old mill and I was talking about the multiplane camera and I said to them, Look, I'm not kidding around when I say that this studio was founded literally a hundred years ago today, and some of the students were like, I think impressed. Or yeah. at the, that coincidence of time <laughs> and maybe, but a lot of them, a lot of the students aren't very into Disney. Aren't big fans of Disney. um No matter how hard I try.
0: So you started the day talking about the multiplane camera, and then spoiler alert for the exhibition that evening,
1: we saw an actual multiplane camera. The multiplane camera that I showed a video of Walt talking about in that very lecture. The same multiplane camera with the same setup. It was pretty dang special
0: what a world well you're gonna hear more of that kind of thing on the next episode of our little disney 100 mini series. but this episode is all about the short that sam was mentioning just before it is called once upon a studio it is absolutely magical it is on disney plus right now it is a brand new short from the studio summing up 100 years of disney characters of disney's legacy all in this one lovely eight-ish minute short. So you don't have to do much before you listen to this, but I would strongly advise that you go and watch the short before listening to this episode, because we are going to be talking about a whole cavalcade of capital G guys, non-gendered capital G guys, just that, you know, the Disney-versity legends that we love from these movies that all come together in this short. It is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And who knows if we can wrap our thoughts into a mini-episode on this, Sam. I feel like we could talk for hours and hours about Once Upon a Studio.
1: And if you are watching it, you could maybe try and write down as many characters, as many Disney-versity legends as you think you recognise, and then... Uh, We'll compare notes. I'll I'll run through a big long list at the end, I think, and we'll see uh, how many you got.
0: Yeah, if you are so inclined, make your own Disneyversity bingo card, shout bingo to yourself when we mention your favourite little guys. That's enough from us, we're all set down, the register's complete, and it's time for class to begin. This time, we're jumbling up an entire century of Disney history in 2023's Once Upon a Studio. Right then Sam, everyone listening to this should uh, theoretically at this point have gone and spent 8 glorious minutes watching Once Upon a Studio, but for anybody who's too lazy to watch 8 minutes of Disney+, Plus, come on people... Sum up, what is the brief plot of Once Upon a Studio?
1: Once Upon a Studio is set on the 100th anniversary of the Disney Studio on the exact day. And it's about all of the Disney characters who live in the paintings on the walls of the studio coming to life after the animators have gone home to take a big group photo and it's all about Mickey and Minnie trying to rally the troops and get everyone down to the exterior of the building where Malman Goofy is going to try and take a photograph of everybody and of course shenanigans ensue all the way throughout. Yeah,
0: so it's night at the museum, night at the Roy E. Disney building, which is a building that Sam and I will never forget because at the BFI Disney quiz one of the questions was, on Disney's campus. What is the special thing about the Roy E. Disney building? We and several other teams in that quiz all wrote it's the building that's being held up by the Seven Dwarfs and that was wrong. That's the wrong Disney building. The Roy E. Disney one is the one with the big pointy Mickey Sorcerer hat. So that building is burned in our brains and now we get an insight into what happens at night in that building when all the animated characters come to life and as you say, Get together for a big group photo to celebrate 100 years of Disney. So what were you feeling heading into this, Sam? I've been excited about this short for a while, especially after we saw the trailer and saw how it was going to come about that all of these characters from different eras, from different films, were suddenly going to be interacting all in their specific animation style from their original films but including a lot of brand new hand-drawn animation for the legendary classic characters from from decades ago. How are you feeling heading into Once Upon a Studio?
1: I was excited, especially after the trailers and then the big image that was released of the group photo beforehand kind of whetted my appetite. But I think that this surpassed my expectations. I knew there was going to be a lot of characters. I knew that we're going to have characters from every feature film and a lot of the shorts and that is the case, but I was really really impressed by the level of material that they had for these characters to actually work with, the things that they gave them to do, the different interactions, because like a lot of the shots in the trailer were there's a gag where Anna and Elsa are walking past a picture of Hans, and Hans tries to escape from the picture and Elsa freezes him in the picture and they keep going. Alright, great, fine, but that's a gag featuring three characters from the same movie. And what I was really impressed with was all of the different ideas they had for combining characters, having them interact with each other, having them mess with each other in ways that you can only dream of, right? Because it's so rare that these characters do share the screen. I mean, for years and years and years there was a rule in the world of the Disney Princess merchandise franchise, that the images of the Disney Princesses, they weren't allowed to look at each other in the eye because they were supposed to be existing in different universes the not actually supposed to know each other they're just sharing space on a pencil case or whatever and something like ralph breaks the internet broke that down a little bit by having all the princesses together in one room but this is just so far beyond that and you've never really seen i guess with the exception of *Disney disneyversity perennial the house of mouse you've never really seen the characters <laughs> interact with each other on this level with this kind of quality of animation as well yeah
0: i mean we're going to get into some of the specific moments the specific crossovers but things like mrs potts serving tea to the mad hatter that kind of crossover where they've clearly just thought about all these little things across that hundred year history of like what if this character was doing this for this character super smart filled with great gags and great moments And for me, I just felt so pleased with, like, this is exactly what Disney should have done, and obviously have done, well done Disney, to celebrate this anniversary, right? What you do is you make something new. You make something that is filled, yes, with everything from your history that is taking on things from all of these films and characters that people love, yes, giving a stepping point for people to come into this, but you use that to make something new and not just something new, but something that is so specifically a celebration of the characters, yes, of the studio, yes, but of the craft, of we are going to revive these legendary characters, but we are going to bring them back with hand-drawn animation. We are going to put them side by side with the modern 3D CGI Disney characters we are going to celebrate a hundred years of animation craft in the pursuit of creating something new I love that they did that because yes there are various things happening for the Disney 100 celebration which we spoke a bit on the previous episode if you've not listened to that yet go back and listen to us talk about all the various things they've been doing but it's lovely yes to get those trailers where it's like oh look at all these clips from the films that you love but it is something else to commit to creating something new and distinctive, let alone something this fun and imaginative, and that is all about the animation craft.
1: And it never feels cheap either. Like, there's a version of this that feels quite cheap, where it's like, let's just shove as many characters as we can on screen throughout to just, you know, tick off all the features and and make people feel like they've got something new. It's really good, and it's really thoughtful the way that they've connected the characters and the things that they've given, you know, characters we haven't seen in a long time to do, the way that they've reused old voice clips from the films as well to to bring to life characters whose voice actors have passed on and characters who haven't really seen animation for a long time and you know, there are scenes like the ending where it is just let's see how many characters we can fit on screen but so much of it is is a genuine thoughtful attempt to bring these characters together in magical ways you know it, it, some of them maybe the interactions are a little bit obvious but it does feel like something that a lot of effort has been put into and it's not just a cheap cash in.
0: I was watching this short thinking This is just what it looks like in Sam's brain. (laughs) This is like, I'm not peeking inside the Roy Disney building at night. I'm peeking inside Sam's brain, where all these characters, especially, it just feels like they have been listening to this show, and they know the Disneyversity Legends canon, they know the characters we're obsessed with, and they're like, let's just put all of those guys on a staircase and see what happens. I
1: think (laughs) everyone who watches this, no matter what level of Disney fan you're at, Anyone who watches this is going to get a moment where they think that is there just for me. No one loves that character as much as I do. And I think we've both got moments in this where it's like, I did not think that that character would get as prominent a role in this. Even if it's just a couple of seconds, it's more than I thought they would get. And yeah, it is just a Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the screen saying, that's X character moment. But... I don't know, there's a joy to it as well. There's a real joy to seeing these guys back. And I think it's
0: when there's such a huge roster to choose from. It's not just like, hey, there's the guy that I know. It's like, across, what, are we on 63 films now? And all the shorts and yeah a hundred years of history it's not just like oh they did this it's like oh they picked that from that film and that's in this like it very easily could have been missed i think that is some of the joy to this beyond just the like hey i recognize that thing yeah just before we get into the moments that made us leap off the sofa the other thing we discussed on our first disney 100 special was alice's wonderland from 1923 the short that begets the contract all hail the contract that means the (laughs) disney company exists and that short is a mix of live action and animation that is the very foundation of the studio and i just thought it was interesting watching this as a sort of bookend to alice's wonderland of oh they have also found a way of celebrating the studio's legacy in a combination of live action and animation that is like hey what if these two worlds bled together what if these worlds started to merge and and cross over that struck me as an interesting thematic link
1: and yet they haven't tried to somehow digitally resurrect Alice which is probably for the best like she isn't technically an animated character but I would have liked to see Uh, A little bit of a nod to that. Maybe a Julius the Cat, who I don't think I did spot. And I've got a couple of other guys that I would like to see in there, which maybe we'll get to at the end. But uh, overall, I'm impressed with what they got in. And yeah, I think you're right. It makes a nice, I was going to say, conclusion to this 100-year story. But of course, the future is so incredibly bright for the Walt Disney Entertainment Corporation.
0: (laughs) Well, I was going to ask you what your leap-off-the-sofa moments were. But I think what might be more fun is we try and guess each other's leap-off-the-sofa moments. So, there are several ones. I don't quite know where to start with Sam's leap-off-the-sofa moments, but let me have a quick look through my notes. Okay, pretty early on, we get an appearance, this isn't the character that you care about, but we get an appearance of Vanellope von Schweitz from Wreck-It Ralph, And she is zooming around the halls of the Roy Disney building, and in the other seat in her car is a certain incredible dog with his sunnies on, with a string of sausages around his neck, Dodger from Oliver and Company, being driven by Vanellope von Schweetz. You lost your mind at that, right?
1: Yeah, that was... I really genuinely screamed and pointed at the screen and shouted Dodger. <laughs> um, and that was for a very brief moment. I am going to have to watch this with Lydia because she was, I don't know, busy doing something more important while I was watching this and it was like midnight. But I, that was like the brief moment she was in the room and I was shouting, Dodger! And it was Dodger. And and she was like, yep, okay, I'm going to leave you to it. You can have your first view into yourself just to shout. And it's Dodger and he does a little, oh, oh! and it's the actual sampled vocals of Billy Joel as credited at the end it was Billy Joel I don't think they got him back in the booth to do that I think it's from the first movie but he is having a hell of a time riding along with Penelope von Schweetz
0: yeah the only thing that could have made it better is a little blaster. Why should I worry? Get that cranking in the car. Has she got like a tape player in that thing or even maybe hooked up to Spotify if it's a bit more recent?
1: But that's exactly what I'm talking about where it's like, I guess he isn't the most obscure Disney character. There must be quite a few people who love Dodger but I was not expecting them to be in like the first minute of this short with like a good few seconds of prominent screen time. Basically just to him and Vanellope and that felt like something made for me and on a similar note if i can guess at one of your top moments even earlier almost immediately like the third character that was see (laughs) pop out of a painting is orville from the rescuers with bernard and bianca on his back crashing into the floor
0: oh that's my guy he's trying he's failing but he's having a great time doing it and it's not whoever the fake Orville was from the rescuers down under cannot even remember his name because he doesn't matter this is the real deal this is Orville himself I saw him in the picture frame and I was like oh here we go and he soars out of the frame crashes on the floor that is my guy yes Love that we get an Orville moment
1: here. And then who should walk past but Rhino the Hamster from Bolt, a movie that I'm not even sure if you've seen?
0: <laughs> I've not seen it. No, we haven't got there yet. It's in the wilderness years.
1: But Rhino the Hamster sees Orville face plant into the ground and shouts, awesome and i'm thinking that's ben (laughs) that's the voice of ben travis that is awesome
0: that is that is yeah that was definitely one in all capitals in my notes it's just orville exclamation mark exclamation mark yeah very very pleased to see him okay who have i got for you let's have a look let's find another one i don't think this is like huge up your list but like stromboli wrangling with the vending machine uh (laughs) really cracked me up Uh, I thought that was a big Sam Summers vibe. Yeah. Who else have we got? I am going to go for... Well, I'm going to go heavy hitters. It's right towards the end. But Mr. Toad riding the magic carpet from Aladdin... (laughs) Out of the doors, swooping through the air. I was like, that is everything Sam has ever wanted. That's what he sees when he closes his eyes to fall asleep at night. He, he dreams of Mr. Toad flying around on the magic
1: carpet. He flies on the magic carpet. He flies right over Scar, giving him a shock. And he shouts, I'll show you the world. And that's, uh, <laughs> that's a real treat. Yeah, that's my one and two. That's my one and two. Dodger near the start and Toad near the end. And a one near the end for Ben Travis has to be the moment when... So I guess we'll get to it, but they all have a big climactic sing-along to When You Wish Upon a Star. And everyone's joining in, but a few characters get, like, solo parts. And Ariel is singing, like, one of the lines, I don't know, If your heart is in your dreams, and then suddenly, who should chime in? But... (laughs) (laughs) it's scuttle the seagull making the right sing
0: (laughs) i thought the best news this year that i received might be when i was lucky enough to interview Maman miranda for empire magazine for the feature that i wrote on the little mermaid the live action reimagining from this year and i was like what can you tell me about the new songs? And he's like, oh, well, there's a new song for Ariel and it's this and it's called For the First Time and there's a new song for Eric. Eric's got his own song this time around called Wild Uncharted Waters. And then we've got a song for Scuttle and I was like, what? We've got a song for Scuttle? That was the greatest thing I've ever heard. I lost my mind. I think I actually screamed on the Zoom, which was probably quite unprofessional of me. I thought that was the greatest Scuttle meets music moment I was going to get this year. Turns out, Once Upon a Studio, Scuttle singing When You Wish Upon a Star so horribly that somebody like grabs his beak and holds it closed was just wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. I, I, why do I love the like loud birds of Disney? <laughs> why is that my thing? But yeah, Orville and Scuttle are probably the big two. I, I mean, from there, there are various ones that I think have probably shared disney legends favourites that both of us lost our minds at. I can imagine. Because we haven't talked about this yet. We're like, save it for the podcast. So this is us talking about some of these things for the first time. Another one that I think we both will have leapt up at is a reasonably sizable appearance from Joanna the Lizard from The Rescuers Down Under, <laughs> yeah. the like, egg-eating lizard. She is like filling the frame. She is right up in the grill of this short. I love that. Yes, bring me Joanna the Lizard from Rescuers Down Under. Who the hell snuck that in there?
1: And she's about to eat Jack and Gus, the hateful mice from Cinderella. And I'm like, go Joanna in that situation. (laughs) And then she is scared out of it by Pluto the dog who leaps up and is like, woof, 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 don't you be eating those mice? And I'm like, ah let Joanna have this one yes that's great there's a few little rescuers down under moments in fact so we've got the rescuers with Orville I quite like the moment where Cordy is mimicking that moment where he's flying on the eagle over the stream but he's being carried by Elliot Pete's dragon right because Pete of course is live action so he's not involved in this he wasn't invited to the party Pete's dragon he's there he needs another kid to fly around with and he's picked Cordy, who likes to fly around with big flying people
0: yeah no marahute marahute like hey where the hell was my invite what the hell the other mythical bird <laughs> of disney another one we cannot begin our shot by shot talk on this short without first mentioning the guy we were most excited to see the guy who we had been teased was gonna appear here and appear he did gergi turned up from the black cauldron not just him Pocahontas singing When You Wish Upon a Star directly to (laughs) Gurgi. Like, everyone else is around them, but it's not about everybody else there. Pocahontas is sharing a specific moment with Gurgi. Huge tick off the list.
1: Do we ship Pocahontas and Gurgi?
0: Or we ship Gurgi with absolutely nobody. (laughs) We ship Gurgi with the apple at best. (laughs)
1: we're we're shipped Gergi with the wrong end of a rifle is what we're saying
0: oh oh poor Gergi now I feel sorry for him I didn't know that was possible right then we've talked the biggest highlights but let's go back to the beginning let's go through and discuss all of the delights here we begin in live action with somebody credited just as intern who is remarking on the Disney 100 day as she leaves the studio. And she is with... Sam, is that Bernie Matheson who this is dedicated to at the end? Is the guy in the red cardigan, Bernie Matheson?
1: Yeah, Bernie Matheson is the... Or was, actually. He sadly passed away earlier this year, and that's why this film is dedicated to him. But before he died, he was able to record it. And it's very fitting that he is the guy they choose to close the doors on the studio before all the characters come to life because he was the longest servant employee of the entire Walt Disney Company. He wow. worked at Disney since 1953. He was there for 70 years. So the first film he worked on was Lady and the Tramp and the last film that I worked on other than this was Strange World. So he really was there for such a huge swathe of, of that hundred... Like 70 of the hundred years, right? There's only 30 years where he wasn't there. So that's yeah. the level of, of Disney legend that we're talking about here.
0: Is he a nine-old man? He's one old man in this short, but it's, it's, does he count in the nine old men? He's
1: not a nine-old man. He was a little younger than the nine old men. He's kind of the next generation. He worked under them as a character animator for a long time. But he really came into his own... As the director and really kind of the guy behind Mickey's Christmas Carol, that was his baby, that was his like coming out moment as a, a filmmaker rather than just like an assistant animator. And he conceived that from the ground up because he wanted to do something new with the Mickey cast of characters because there hadn't been a Mickey Mouse show in like 30 years by that point. Uh, so he wanted to bring those guys back and that's another reason why it's really fitting that he should be the one to close the doors and wake them up in this film
0: obviously the character who wakes up first who emerges first is mickey mouse he's the one who leaps out first and to me that reads as 90s mickey mouse is that 90s mickey mouse or is that mickey from a different decade
1: that is mickey from 1942 from a cartoon fittingly called mickey's birthday party so you can see there in in the image he's being gifted a big present by minnie that's like mickey not too long after his his big redesign where his face went from white to pink and his eyes went from full black to white with pupils to become the Mickey that we know and love. So absolutely not 90s Mickey. I was five decades off. But, but he didn't change that much.
0: Yeah, this is how he looks in Mickey's Christmas Carol, pretty much. Yeah. That's the thing that I love, right? Because we have that shot of Mickey and Minnie on the wall, but around them are all the artists from the studio, which I can imagine is what the inside of the building is actually like. But that stuff and this Bernie Mattinson cameo at the beginning, to me, again, it's just like, this is about the artist. This is about celebrating the work, celebrating the characters, celebrating the craft and the people behind it, which I absolutely love them for doing that.
1: Yeah, it's nice that we we'll get those photos, like, there's photos of the nine old men on the wall. There's a photo of Mary Blair on the wall. Later on, there's one of her by works. Like, the gang are there, like, the actual all the legendary artists that we've talked about on the show are featured in photographic form. And yeah, whether or not that's been put there for the purposes of this film or it's already there, it's good that... Like I was talking about in our last episode, we're getting a bit of recognition for the the people, the artists, as well as the characters they created.
0: I mean, there's so much to talk about here, and I I don't want to hold us up before we get into the characters, but Bernie Mattinson saying, if these walls could talk... I, I know, we talked in the previous episode about like, How much do we get caught up in the sentimentality of this? To what extent is it Disney marketing? I do get hit by that because it's like, do you know what? No, this is the building where so much of this happened. This is the place where those ideas, where those people, where these characters come to life. And I think him saying that is such a simple line, but it really does hit this point of like, oh no, these walls are steeped in history. I do, yeah, feel the sentimentality of that. Anyway, Mickey and Minnie pop out of the wall. Lovely to see the uh, classic guys kicking this off. Speaking of which, Tinkerbell comes in, fittingly as the one to sprinkle the magic fairy dust and sort to bring everybody else to life too. That is her role in the Disney canon at this point. She is the one who sprinkles the magic on the castle at the beginning of every movie. Thought that was a fitting little role for Tinkerbell.
1: Yeah, she, she is basically like one of Disney's top mascots, right? Like Mickey and Minnie are obviously still the king and queen. But like, Tinkerbell is everywhere, in the parks, in the promo materials. She would also magic up the title sequence for the Disneyland TV show from the 1950s. So almost since Peter Pan came out, she's been in that pantheon of like really iconic mascot level Disney characters.
0: And from here, the level of characters, it exponentially increases. So uh, one of the first to emerge is Tiana from Princess and the Frog who will be kicking off our next season once the Wilderness Years is done. We get Judy Hopps and whatever the fox is called from Zootropalopistopia, whichever the UK (laughs) version of that title is. Nick Wilde, is that the
1: fox? Nick Wilde.
0: Then we have Pinocchio popping his head out of his portrait. So immediately we're blending Princess and the Frog, 2D Princess, Then we have a little bit of Zootropolis and we have 1940s Pinocchio in the mix as well. Total statement of intent of, like, you are going to watch all of these eras interacting.
1: Yeah, we'll have this cavalcade of characters. That's an amazing phrase, isn't it? Cavalcade of... There's no (laughs) other way to describe a group of characters. It's a cavalcade of, of fabulous characters. Not as fabulous as Ichabod and Mr. Toad, who aren't there quite yet, but fabulous characters nonetheless. Racing through the halls... And again, it's these amusing little interactions. So you've got Elliot the Dragonfly and Cody. You've got Sisu the Dragon from Raya and the Last Dragon. Chasing Jim Hawkins from Treasure Planet on his rocket board. That's pretty badass. (laughs) You've got Aladdin and Abu sliding down the stairs and then landing on top of Lords of the Rock Trolls from Frozen in, like, spherical form and, and tripping over them.
0: Right, that's what the balls are. I, I, I didn't think about them being the troll balls from <laughs> Frozen, which does not sound the way that I intended, uh, but troll balls, they absolutely are.
1: I did have to go back and freeze frame to, to pin down the troll balls. But I will say... No Google is being used in the making of this podcast episode on my part. That was a commitment I made. Every character that I identify is off the dorm, okay?
0: Okay then, let me put that to the test, because who are the freaky elf boys swinging down from the roof just as Moana falls down in the splash of water? I was like... Who are the freaky 3D CGI elf boys? What is this?
1: Those are the elves from a series of TV Christmas specials from the last 10 years or so called Prep and Landing. Uh, the elves aren't called Prep and Landing. I do not know what they're called, but it, it's a bit like Arthur Christmas. It's about the, uh, the team of like militarised elves who set the stage for Santa's arrival each Christmas.
0: That is a truly deep cut. That is the deepest of cuts. On the lighter end, we get Moana. I love that she's with Flounder again. They're kind of thinking of who are the water characters? How can we get them to interact? She has to ask Merlin for help to conjure up some water. He's busy having tea with the Mad Hatter. Those guys, I think after this short ends, Merlin, the Mad Hatter probably even Mrs. Potts, they're getting on harder stuff than tea (laughs) at the end of the night. They are hanging out in the back room with probably the Cheshire Cat and the freaky hooker-smoking caterpillar and getting on the hard
1: stuff. They're a bunch of old hippies. They used to follow the Grateful Dead around in the 60s. The Mad Hatter here, of course, voiced by Alan Tudyk, which... I didn't necessarily know what to listen to, but I guess that it must have been him because of the same voice that he does of King Candy. So who else would you get to do it?
0: <laughs> oh, And good in a way that Alan Tudyk is here. Obviously, he is a Disney lucky charm. He's in so many of these films in tiny, weird voice roles. So yeah, good to have some Alan Tudyk in the mix here. Now... Let's talk about the elevator. Or the lift. Because there's various people I recognise. There's the creepy mum from Tangled, Mother Knows Best. There is Turk from Tarzan. Obviously, at the front, we have Donald Duck. Uh, I love Donald Duck's incredible impatience. The sloth from Zootropolis who's waiting to get into the lift. There's some other people who I don't recognise. Who is the tall, gangly, gold robot who is not C-3PO?
1: He is from Meet the Robinsons. I would say 90% of the time in this short, if there is a CGI character that you don't recognise, it's probably from Meet the Robinsons. (laughs) There's quite a few Robinsons and their friends and foes dotted around here, but that's who he is.
0: Is the bear one of the brother bears? One of the brothers' is bear?
1: No, they pop up later on in the photo scene, but this is Humphrey the Bear, who is a character, I guess from the extended Mickey Mouse universe, but he popped up in a bunch of those, like, theatrical shorts in, god, I want to say late 40s, early 50s. Like I say, I refuse to Google it for integrity's sake, but the, the guy standing next to him is the park ranger, and their dynamic is that, like, obviously the bear's causing trouble for the park ranger. Right, right.
0: So, they're all in the lift together. Baymax bustles in at some point as well then we get one of the biggest treats again one of the sort of newsy talking points of this in that olaf is you know working on some animation he's having a go at animating a character the character he is animating is the genie from aladdin and we have unused audio from robin williams voice performance being used for the first time here with brand new hand-drawn animation of the genie that is an amazing thing I love that they've kind of conflated these characters because it feels like Olaf is very much in the genie lineage of the really fun sidekick characters who make the most of the elastic properties of animation in their respective films. That felt like a nice little thematic link. And yeah, just seeing the big, bold, bright blue of the genie popping to life once again, and hearing Robin Williams' voice, that just that just takes me back to my childhood,
1: Sam. Not the only Robin Williams character in that scene, either. If you want to talk about deep cuts, this might be the single deepest cut, unless there's one that I've missed.
0: Okay, what are we talking here?
1: There's a little flying, kind of elf-looking figure who flies past Olaf while he's animating, and that is Robin Williams as a Peter Pan Lost Boy From a documentary that he did about animation with Walter Cronkite, which used to screen in the MGM Studios Park. So it's like Robin Williams, he's doing a tour of the studio and his favourite Disney movie is Peter Pan. Obviously, he would later go on to play Peter Pan, but they animated him as a lost boy to kind of demonstrate how animation works. And that is that lost boy. And the same film, the outfit that Robin Williams wears in that documentary is the outfit that the genie wears when he goes on vacation at the end of Aladdin with the Hawaiian shirt and the goofy hat.
0: It is references on references on references. And that's not even to mention that behind Olaf is a Hercules cup.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hercules. Wait, did
0: I spot something that you didn't? (laughs) Yes, I've won the podcast. (laughs) That was my one secret wish. There we go.
1: There's a scene after that that I really, really love with a bunch of, like, a lot of them are kind of some of Disney's vainest characters, male characters, Prenan in a mirror, although not all of them necessarily fit that description, so you've got Gaston, Prince John, Thomas O'Malley. You've also got Chicken Little, Milo Thatch, Happy the Dwarf, and obviously my favourite, the Headless Horseman, because he's looking in the mirror, but he doesn't have a head. Yes.
0: And again, Thomas O'Malley. Just yeah. give me some O'Malley. Lovely to see all the lads, all the lads getting ready for a big night out. Headless Horseman at the end does crack me up.
1: And then Minnie bursts in with her eyes covered, and a really, really good line read of, Let's move it, gentlemen! That's a very funny Minnie line there.
0: As if that didn't delight you enough. From there, we go straight to Christopher Robin having to, like, yank Pooh out of his frame. We've got some Pooh Bear stories to tell from the Disney 100 exhibition, but this must have made you smile, right? Seeing seeing your boy, he's back, and he's round as ever. Can't be pulled out of his frame.
1: And of course, it's a perfect reference to the end of the very first Wing the Pooh shot where he gets his butt stuck in Rabbit's house and they all have to pull him out.
0: We get... Just an incredible combination of guys. We have some birds from Cinderella. We have Miko from Pocahontas. We have Pua the pig from Moana. And we have Antonio, the little kid from Encanto, on his shoulder. He has Pascal from Tangled. He has the life I want to live with a little chameleon on his shoulder. And on his finger, it's Cricky from Mulan. Just all of this being in the same frame brings me joy. I
1: love it. And again, it's just a combination of characters that makes sense because he's the guy from the Madrigal family who can communicate with animals. So he's got all these lovely little animals flying around him. And speaking of lots of lovely little animals, then we get the 101 Dalmatians watching the TV. But what are they watching? It's only the Night on Bald Mountain with the bog himself. <laughs>
0: yeah chernabog like the fact that he is in a shot with the wind in the willows guys with the happy reindeer from frozen and all of the dalmatians that was me watching fantasia as a kid watching the tv like i don't know what i'm seeing and it's kind of (laughs) freaky but this is Cool, I guess.
1: So, I guess we can't dwell on every single moment. I really want to highlight Car the Snake hypnotising Clarabelle Cow, presumably to eat. (laughs) Yeah. But Rapunzel decks him with a frying pan. And that's another good thing I wanted to mention, actually. It's not just the characters, it's also the music. So, like, in the Gene and Olaf scene, we're hearing bits of Friend Like Me in... The scene with Car, We Are Hearing, Trust In Me. And that means that you've got some Sherman Brothers songs in there. You've got some Ashman and Mencken songs in there. So you're also paying tribute to some of the great songwriters that have worked at that studio. I
0: have to say, I did chuckle at Cinderella's Prince losing his shoe. It's an easy gag, but it's a strong one. That did, that did give me a little bit of a chuckle. Let's talk about one of the bigger moments from the short. Because it kind of gets to the emotional peak in the middle, which is among all the joy of these characters getting together mickey mouse takes a moment to go and look at a big old picture of Walt disney himself and he says a little thank you to Walt and the important message on with the show does that line get you does that hit you emotionally does that feel cynical in any way to you what's the significance of this moment
1: it's it's difficult for me because it's like, you know that I've got a problem with how Walt Disney the Man is used as a mascot by Walt Disney the Company. Because I don't like putting people on pedestals, especially people who lived relatively recently and who we know have some really objectionable views and, and did some really objectionable things. But, at the same time, I am, I don't know if I'd call myself a fan of Walt Disney the Man, but like... I'm really, really interested in him. I think he's a fascinating figure. I'm really interested in any kind of work of fiction that depicts Walt Disney or engages with Walt Disney. And this is just another example of that coming from a different perspective, coming from the perspective of people who work at this studio that he founded and and created, or at least was involved in the creation of these characters that they love as well. And the people who made this obviously have a fondness for him. I don't think it's just that. There's a diktat from on high that at some point you need to lionise Walt Disney in this film. But what really signals this is quite a heartfelt tribute to an admittedly complicated man is the song that is playing in the background, which is Feed the Birds from Mary Poppins, which is Walt Disney's favourite song that Disney ever put out. So that feels like a a meaningful moment. And in the credits it said that it had a, a credit for featured soloist richard sherman which suggests to me because this isn't the original recording of the track suggests to me that they might have got richard sherman in to actually record the piano for this again I, i don't know if that's the case that's my interpretation of featured soloist richard sherman i haven't read any news stories about that but if so that's great i always love it when they get richard out
0: i have to say i do feel a little bit of a pang in this mickey moment i think because in the wake of us going to the exhibition yesterday as well There are various questions over Disney's authorship of certain things, and how much gets attributed to Walt Disney himself versus the other artists working there. But Walt did basically make Mickey Mouse. Yes, there was other involvement, but he really did kind of invent that character. He voiced that character. There is such a strong connection between Walt Disney, the man, and Mickey Mouse, the mascot, that... Yeah, a moment that could have felt really cynical, I did feel a little bit emotional over that. And the whole line of, like, on with the show, that does feel like a bit of a Disney ethos. And it does feel like Walt's ethos of, like, yes, you know, this whole thing of let's make a new short. Let's not be too stuck in the past. Yes, let's celebrate the past, but let's make something new. Let's keep pushing forward. Let's make a show. Let's make something for people to sweep them away, to to give them something fun and fantastical to enjoy. That felt like an appropriate moment as well. He is not necessarily the traditionalist. He's the guy saying we should just keep pushing and keep doing something new. So I liked that as a moment. But yeah, it gives you this emotional nugget. And then it just keeps throwing more guys at you. They're like, pile on the guys, we're getting towards the end of the shorts.
1: He jumps on Dumbo immediately after this emotional moment with what's basically his dad, and he flies down the stairs past Cronk, the bowler hat guy from Meet the Robinsons, Clara Cluck, the big chicken, my man Pete, Gazelle Pete. from Zootopia, Johnny Fedora and Alice Bluebonnet, the talking hats from Make My Music.
0: <laughs> yes, because I was like, why have they cut these guys faces off? Like, why is the frame cutting off the vases it's because it's the hats that we're looking at it's the two hats who fall in love
1: but later on you do see who's wearing the hats and amazingly and for no real reason it's nanny and our boyfriend from lilo and stitch <laughs> who you admittedly would not have recognized no. but for me that's one of the most random crossovers in this
0: i feel like we haven't dwelled enough and we don't have a huge amount of time but we have not dwelled enough on the fact that pete is like four steps ahead of cronk these two characters, these two very different, uh, almost Disneyversity mascots at this point. Getting them in this short, in the same shots, so close together, proper magic. Pete had to be in here somewhere. He's really prominent in the photo at the end. We're going to get to the photo, but Pete is like front and center. He is just behind some of the other major guys. Before we get to the photo, I actually really did enjoy the Wreck-It Ralph moment. That little voice performance from John C. Riley, who I think is really funny. It, it, it's good. He's not a character I particularly have emotional connection towards, Wreck-It Ralph. But that was a really funny moment. Uh, again, the fact that Scar is behind him, Raya is off to the side. I do love seeing these characters all together. And that's when we get Toad flying on the magic carpet. We have Ichabod Crane himself being spooked by everything happening around him. Two fabulous characters, one shot, glorious.
1: I do just want to point out that there's a gag where wreck Ralph calls Mickey Garfield, which is really funny. <laughs> that's a solid gag. Like that's exactly the right character to use, you know? He's not going to call him, like, Donald or something, another Disney character, or even Bugs Bunny, someone who's roughly his equivalent. He's going to call him Garfield, which just feels so out of left field. Left Garfield, if you will. I mean, look, if you didn't think this episode was just going to be us naming things, I don't know what you were expecting, but... Louisa Madrigal holding all of the cows from home on the range and Cyril Proudbottom (laughs) from The Wind in the Willows. That's pretty spectacular. (laughs) Oh, and there's a bit where Mickey is trying to get into the photo and Oswald is walking in and Mickey gets out of his way and he says, after you. Because Mickey was after him. Yes. And and it's black and white Oswald. None of this blue pants nonsense. The, (laughs) The blue pants came into effect After Walt left the studio, it was a universal film. It was a short in the movie The King of Jazz. We talked about it in the Fantasia 2000 episode at length. That's where the blue pants came in. This is a Disney short, Oswald's in black and white. That is correct.
0: (laughs) Okay, so in the spirit of us running out of time and of this episode basically just being like, did you spot this guy? Did you spot that guy? Let's go through your list. Point out all the guys, Sam, and then let's get the hell out of here.
1: Okay, so this is everyone that I saw in the photo who I think is worth mentioning that isn't just obvious to look at them. So just some of my faves. Skeletons from The Skeleton Dance. Ooh, really? Yep, they're in there, skellying about. The Secretary Bird and the Lion King, not the Lion King, but the Lion King from Bedknobs and Broomsticks. The characters from Rhapsody in Blue from Fantasia 2000, All, all four of the leads from that shot are in there. Obviously, the whole Dodger gang. Pedro the Plain from Saludos Amigos, who is being ridden by Gurgi and Creeper, the even truly no. disgustingly little freak from the Black Cauldron.
0: <laughs> Loved seeing Pedro the Plain. He's just so sizable in the mix. He's, like, again, very weirdly prominent in the photo just because he's a big
1: lad. Great to see him. Uh, Lambert the sheepish lion from the short of the same name. Ferdinand the bull from the short of the same name. Paper Man... And the flowers and trees, trees, and in one of the branches of one of the trees is a paper plane, and they're standing next to Paper Man, and it's like he's throwing a paper plane in the tree. The Reluctant Dragon from The Reluctant Dragon. (laughs) Benjamin Franklin and the little mouse who lives in his hat from a cartoon called Ben and Me about Benjamin Franklin and the little mouse that lives in his hat, which I was thinking (laughs) when I heard that premise ha 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 wouldn't it be funny if the little mouse in ben franklin's hat was like ratatouille and Mm. it was the mouse who was like actually discovering electricity and drafting the declaration of independence and all of that and yes that is literally what that short is there is a cartoon no way that is ratatouille with benjamin franklin from decades before ratatouille was a thing (laughs) where this mouse was integral to the founding of the united states of america that is astonishing i'm nowhere near done the owl from the old mill There's an owl in the front, and I was like, who's that owl? There's loads of owls. It's the owl from The Old Mill, who, if you've seen that short, is like very prominent in it, and he's perched on top of the the wheels of the mill and slipping around on them during a storm. Uh, Johnny Appleseed from Melody Time. The Ugly Duckling, that's from A Silly Symphony. Uh, Cody and Penny together, the two rescuees with the rescuers from The Rescuers. Ludwig von Drake. From a symposium of popular songs. He's an extended Donald Duck character. Obviously, the Caballeros are there. Pecos Bill, Slewfoot Sue, and Widowmaker from Melody Time. Casey at the Bat from Make My Music. We ate his hot dogs in Disneyland.
0: is weird get him out
1: there's a guy from a short from a couple of years ago called inner workings where his internal organs come to life there's the Loch Ness Monster from the Ballad of Nessie Bongo the Bear from Fun and Fancy Free the dancing couple from Us Again which only came out a year or two ago Susie the Little Blue Coop and Squeaks the Caterpillar (gasps) Where's Squeaks very very tiny out in front towards the left as small as you could possibly make out and oh. squeaks the caterpillar but i was quite upset at the omission of cosplay owl i'm not seeing them if anyone's seeing cosplay owl let me know but aurora's there prince philip's there he's wearing all of his clothes so what i'm thinking is like where's my boy
0: what about willie the opera singing whale is he in
1: there He's not in there. I was also really hoping I'd see Professor Owl from Toot, Whistle, Plunk and Boom, the Ward Kimball short, who we did see in the exhibition and we'll get to, but it's just got me thinking like, there's some owls in this, but not all the owls. What happened to those owls?
0: (laughs) They had their own photo afterwards. It was like, once they got the big shot, then it's like, all the horses had a photo, all the owls had a photo, and in every one, it says, introducing Squeaks the caterpillar.
1: <laughs> That's the official story, but I think we should take a closer look at that portrait of Walt Disney and see if he's got any feathers on his boot.
0: Ooh! <laughs>
1: you can cut that out if you want.
0: Look, if we're going to celebrate 100 years of Disney, we've got to mention the time that Walt Disney, as a child, stomped on an owl. Happy 100 years, Disney. And that is it for part two of our Disney 100 Celebration mini-series. Join us for the final edition later this week as we talk about everything we saw at the Disney 100 exhibition in London. And believe me, we saw a lot of amazing things at that exhibition, so you're definitely going to want to listen to that. In the meantime, if you've enjoyed this mini-episode, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you fancy dropping us a little review, a star rating, wherever you listen to this, it really helps us get discovered. Please do let people know about the show. We'll hastily Photoshop you into the Disney 100 reunion photo, maybe with Squeaks the Caterpillar on your shoulder for good measure. For now, it's goodbye from Sam. Bye. It's goodbye from me. And oh my God, here comes Orville. Orville, no, don't hit the ground. Oh, he's done it again. Awesome. (laughs) DisneyVersity is brought to you by Ben Travis and Sam Summers. Our artwork is by Ollie Gibbs, and our music is by Nefetz. Follow us at DisneyVersity on Twitter and Instagram, and catch you for next week's class.